listening to the Impact Interviews from the Martin Agency. Join us as we explore fresh ways to break through the noise, impact culture, and shape the future of advertising. In today's episode, Martin's Chief Strategy Officer, Michael Chapman, sits down with brand strategist, Heidi Hackamer. Heidi's work lives in the balance between provocation and practicality, helping build companies and brands that create impact in the world. And that's just from her LinkedIn bio. We're here with Heidi Hackamer, um, who just gave an amazing, inspiring talk about how to be brave. Um, And I think we might have lost about half the agency because she basically said, once again, that this industry isn't really what it's cracked up to be. I okay, was very good. I was second. very good today. <laughs> Maybe she wasn't that inspiring. So we still have at least half of the great people here. But uh, thank you for being here, and it was a lot of fun. Thank you um, for having me. But you, I will be honest, you're the first planner uh, strategist that we've had on this Impact Interview podcast. So I can't um, stop myself from asking, what do you think about the state of planning right now in the world? Planning is simultaneously becoming irrelevant and entirely relevant. I think we are irrelevant if we stick to the old school way of doing it, which this is the entire industry grappling with this right now, right? The foundations of how we've done things versus what the market requires now. Um, And I think the trick with planning right now is holding on to that amazing insight that you can get, the rigor, the construction of a brand that you have behind the scenes is still super important. Um, But what we also need to do is understand that that has to be applied so much faster. It needs to be useful. It needs to not fuel just a big TV commercial, but it needs to fuel a lot of chattery small things very quickly. And so the question I have is how do you hold on to the great DNA in planning, which I'm a big believer in. I love planning. I think it's so important. You have great planning. You have great brands. But how do you make it responsive? And if we don't get that responsiveness, that's that's where we're going to run into trouble as a discipline. You think it's about being scrappy, or is it? You know, you, you hear that a, yeah, a lot. Yeah, the um, word scrappy kind of annoys me. I, I, it's it's not my favorite word. It's not my favorite word because it connotes cheap, and yeah. it connotes that you're just going to do the bare minimum to get it done and just get it out there. So I think there's there's like this parallel path that you need to do in building a brand. You need to have that knowledge and insight undercore, that structural undercore, that I do think we can get to much faster as a mm-hmm. discipline. Like I don't think there's a reason that we need to spend six to eight months getting to brand foundations anymore, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say you could probably get to a prototype brand foundation in 90 days or less, and then have an insights and learning loop that lets you continuously strengthen that foundation while also having experimentation crackling on the top. And the the difficult thing that we have in planning now is creating the loops between what's crackling and what's foundational. Mm -hmm. And I think if you want to be a brilliant planner in this next era of culture and of our industry, creating those loops between crackle and foundation is going to be a key skill set. And you think it needs to be handled or could be handled by the same person? I mean, I think sometimes we spent the last decade sort of splitting people up and, you know, trying to have social strategists and digital strategists right. and cultural strategists and brand strategists. And I'll be honest, I feel like it was um, it, it was it was sort of a mess. I mean, I think we were all getting our feet under us. But now it feels like to be successful, you actually do have to go super high and super low. You've got to listen to the crackle and you got to be able to talk about the foundation. Yeah. And it's it's how do you 
how do you wrangle all that? Because for one person, that's too much. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm the person that has to go out and make sure the quantitative is done properly, conduct the qualitative, build the foundations, monitor the social media, and make sure the social media is doing all the right things. Like that's a lot for one person, but perhaps there's a way of doing um, hybrid SWAT teams where everyone can, there's experts, there's gravitational experts on things, but then they also have at least enough situational awareness on the other stuff that everyone can kind of contribute to it. Yeah. Do you think that um, that needs to be just the purview of strategy? No, I mean, no. No, I mean this the whole rigidity that we have department anyways I think is is tough. Like brand teams should be mosh pits. <laughs> you know, I mean ultimately um, whenever I've done little experimental brands myself, it's never been rigid lines of demarcation between who's doing what. It's just kind of like a pile in and everyone's trying to figure it out with people having their thing that they need to do. But also really contributing to the other parts, the facets of the brand. Um, and I know we as an industry have been talking about this forever, right? Yeah. Like we've been talking yeah. about the cross-functional team, everything ma- ma- mashing together. But when do we get serious about it? Well, and the, well, the cross-functional team became, hey, let's create lots of different departments with lots of different silos, and then we'll mash them together. Versus saying, forget the titles, forget the silos, forget the departments, and just say, look, we've got this thing to solve. And if we don't solve it together, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, and and I have I had a really good example of that about ten or plus years ago in my career actually when I was working at BBH, we were working on the launch of Google Chrome, and I have to give Cala Chanel and Pella Chanel a ton of credit because, you know, a lot of this has to do with where is the also the unspoken power on a team. So of course it's always the creative director, at least it has been historically, right? And what Pella Pella and Cala did was they took themselves out of their office. They put themselves in on a row and they said, this is how this team needs to sit physically, right? And so Pella actually went off to LA. So it was, Kala was left, right? Kala was the creative director. I was the planner. I sat next to Kala on an open row. Our engagement planner sat right across from us. Our account director sat right on that row. It was Google row. Mm-hmm. And anyone that was working on anything just sat on that row. That's how we did it. No one did offices. No one had a, their own private space, and we used the offices for meetings and things like that. But it's actually really interesting. It was the inverse. It was that the people who were actually running the account sat on the the, bull, the bullpen floor, and the more junior people actually got offices <laughs> because awesome. it was it was doing that mash that worked brilliantly. But who is going to be a senior creative or a senior planning person that's going to give up their office and say, I'm going to sit in a mosh pit with everybody else? And I honestly think if more teams would just do that, mm-hmm. the change would start to happen. Yeah. You talked a little bit about um, needing to have that, that crackle and, and that if we're going to create brands um, and, and strategies that get people not just working on television, but actually get people talking. You know, we, we talk yeah. a lot about the fact that it um, takes tension to get attention and that, you know, we know that brands that get talked about grow at two and a half times faster than the category that they're in. Awesome. Um, talk to me a little bit about the importance of talkability and buzz around brands today and why it's more important now maybe than ever. Yeah, I'm going to answer that by going slightly back to something that you said, which is that idea of tension. Oh, are you? I am. I am. So you brought up the idea of tension. I am a huge believer that whenever you're building any brand foundation, you need to have tensions in your insights and you need to have an enemy for that brand. And you have to be unafraid that your brand is not going to be for everybody. And that is okay. And I think when you build that into the foundations of the brand, you are setting yourself up and your creatives up and your client up to create things that drive that talkability, which is so needed today. 
you know, I think that strategists set the tone for projects because we are the first ones that start creating against a project. And so if a strategist has the bravery and has the guts to say, we're going to put some prickly things into this brand. We're going to put a couple of beliefs in our beliefs that like make people a little nervous. I've never seen that go wrong. What I do see go wrong is when the brand structure, the underlying foundations um, get driven by fear or by groupthink and the edges start rounding mm -hmm. off and then you're just kind of putting mushy shit into the world that nobody's going to push against and nobody's going to react to. Yeah, I think we, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact that purpose, and we talk about it with our clients too, purpose now is table stakes. I mean, we yeah. have to, brands have to have something they stand for. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the problem that we run into a lot is that that's sometimes enough for a client team, sometimes that's enough even for a creative team. Mm -hmm. um, and what we have to do collectively is say, wait a second, as soon as you stand for something, that's great because we know where we're headed, but if you don't have something to push off, you don't know how you behave in the world, you yep. don't know how you're supposed to act, you don't know what um, you know opportunities you're supposed to take on, even if it's political or non-political. You, know, you, you, you have to have that to, in order to know how to behave in the world today. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think fundamentally what you know I love about hearing you speak and I think what I love about you know what we believe here is that we work with clients and people who believe in the power of creativity. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the power of creativity today and why that's important or how it's important? Yeah. I mean, at a very base level, I would say right now creativity gives me hope. When I see something beautiful being created... And when I compare that with some of the things that I read on my newsfeed, I almost, I need the creators to keep creating just from a very selfish standpoint. Like, please keep painting, please keep sculpting, please keep writing. And I know I'm using creativity in a much broader sense in answering this, but I, I think that creativity is the, uh, the lifeblood of society. And it, you need the classic creators to create. Also, when we are looking right now in a broader context of the world where we're really in a chaos moment, I think, in the world, not, and I'm not just even talking politically, you know, whatever someone's political thing is, it's, it's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that the world is changing so fast. Systems are breaking down so quickly. I, things that we used to identify with, whether it's the idea of family or religion or our own identity, the, the explorations around that are moving around so quickly, right? And... I only think it is creative thinking that allows us to build what is next. And we so desperately need to build what is next right now. Um, so the thing that, and, and I know we've had a lot of conversations about this in the industry about creativity doesn't just belong in the creative department. And I, it's, I mean, how do you say that's absolutely right without sounding trite? Because it really, you, you have to have it in every facet of what we're doing in our own companies, but also what we're doing in the world right now. I think the best relationships we have right now with with um, the industry, with our clients, with people in this building, are all based on the idea that creativity has to come from uh, from everywhere. Right. I would even say the, 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 the our best creative directors, our best creatives in general, realize that the world has changed so much that you have to look for everyone to be more creative. And you, you said mm -hmm. earlier, you know, finding tension in every insight, finding tension in every idea, it can't just be left up to them. I mean, I think that they're, I think they're shouldering an enormous burden right now. Exactly. That, that they're looking to share as long as the rest of us keep up and, and actually use creativity and don't lean on, you know, maybe some of the... the you know, less provocative ways of coming up with strategy. Mm, yeah. Um, switching um, a little bit, you, 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 I want to hear more about what you're into right now, what you're doing, and, and um, about um, you know the yeah. project we will hunt. Sure. So, um, 
right now I'm, I'm taking one of those liminal space moments in my life where I've had a couple of these in my career where I just kind of back off from the hustle and the bustle and I, I breathe a little bit and I create against things that make me excited. So that's that's where I am right now. Um, I'm working on a project called, or we just launched a contact platform a couple of days ago called So We Hunt. And So We Hunt is really speaking to that chaos that we were just talking about. Like it's, it's kind of a tough time to be alive and figure out where you fit in the world right now it's with everything moving and shifting and the speed and the pressures that we have and, and new pressures that are brought on that past generations didn't have because of our digital reality. Right. And so what we're trying to do with So We Hunt is acknowledging like, yes, like this is a really chaotic time to be alive. And it's not about hooking into like this path that you're going to follow for 20 years, but rather the core skill set that people need to have in this day and age is the ability to navigate. Because God knows what the world is going to throw at you in a year or five years because the world is just changing so fast. So we have to get really good at navigating. And for me, what I found in my own life, the things that really help me navigate meaningfully is when I really know myself and I know what I'm all about. Because at the end of the day, there's so many different directions you, you can go. So you've got to pick the direction that really feels good to you. And then the other thing that really helps me in this world is building the muscle of trying. And trying is hard right now because trying is something that we get judged for a lot, especially in this age of social media where if you try and you fail, the world is probably going to see it. And what worries me is that people are going to stop trying as much because they're afraid of the backlash from the crowd or from the internet or from whatever. And so with So We Hump, what we're really trying to do is saying, trying is cool, failing, failing, I say that with quotes, right? Because I don't really, the only time that I think failing is really failing is when you don't learn from it, right? Otherwise failing is just trying and being like, oh, it didn't work, right? So what we're really trying to do is say, it's okay to try things and have it not work out the way you thought it was going to because you're going to get incredible value out of it anyway. Yeah, we were you know, talking a while ago about setbacks and someone asked, you know, you know, um, how did you, how did you come back from any number of setbacks? And then you went on to tell, like, they're like, 25 setbacks. And so <laughs> right. then all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, those aren't setbacks. No, no, it's those just Those are the accelerants. Path. Those yeah. are paths. Those are, that's the journey. Yeah, yeah. And I think like the more that you try things and they don't work out exactly how you thought they were going to, but something better happens or you survived or whatever, trying things doesn't, isn't as scary anymore. Because you're like, I'll, it's not going to, I'll be fine. It's going to yeah. be okay. It'll work out. I mean, to some extent, I feel like that's also the discussion of creativity we were just having. That creativity mm-hmm. does have a, a powerful role right now in the world, and and trying and being brave as we be, you know, is directly linked to creativity. And if we stop trying, then I'm not sure we can be creative. Agreed. I agree so much on that. I love having these conversations because um, I get to, you know, talk about the ethos of planning, and I get to talk about the spirit of all the good things that happen. However, at the end of the day, oftentimes we have all these very um, positive in, intent out in, in what we do, and if you really believe in the power of creativity and the, the power of strategy, you know, we're doing, you know, God, we're doing God's work. However, <laughs> right. we are also selling stuff and we're a part of the commercial society. And so, you know, I know, you know, a lot of your um, posts and, and, a, and a lot of the way that I talk, you know, I, I always think we're doing good, but sometimes I think we're, we're, we're um, also feeding the beast a little bit. How do you and therefore how do I, you know, come to grips with the fact that we sort of believe in both of those things? I struggle with this a lot, and I'm not going to be able to help you with yours because this is something I struggle with constantly. Um, on the one hand, I, on my pessimistic days, I'm like, we are feeding a machine that sucks. And when I think about this even, take it to a political standpoint, 
when we buy all this crap, we give these corporations more power that allows them to bend the political system to their will, which never helps the majority of people. And that's where it really starts to bother me, right? Um, which could be fixed with a few laws and changes in campaign finance reform and things like that, but who knows. So I can get really down on it. And then there's other days where I say to myself, well, you know what, this machine's gonna be moving anyway. I'd much rather have me in there helping to direct it in a way that I think is like three degrees better than me not be in there and helping with it. And I'd rather have a, a lot of other good people in there helping direct this thing so that it can be something that either isn't as bad or even potentially um, good, right, helpful. And, and, and just like we were talking about people trying um, and failing, I mm -hmm. think we have more power than sometimes we think. Yeah. You know, um, as an agency, as individuals within this in, in this industry, um, we have choices about who we take on and how we present them to the world. Because mm -hmm. at our best, we're giving brands a voice mm -hmm. um, that hopefully are magnetic and that people want to be involved with. And hopefully that voice is is positive enough where people can make their own choices and vote with their money and, and show people that, um, you know, it, it doesn't all have to be, you know, a, a, as bad as, you know, ultimate totally. consumerism. Totally. And can I take this back to strategists for a second? Yeah, yeah. This is where I think strategists can really help and change the course of projects and the course of the way that brands behave. Because if you do your initial insight gathering the right way, and you really operate with empathy and care in the way that you are representing a audience to the clients, you can really change the way that a brand operates. And what I get really worried about in this era is that we are so dependent on data collection for our insights that we miss the nuance of being physically in a room with somebody, getting in there and doing some immersive qualitative where you're not just in a focus group, but where you're actually like really understanding deeply that person and what they're all about. And so I put a charge to strategists all the time saying, if you get that, if you advocate for the right kinds of insight collection and you do your work correctly and get the right kind of portraits and the right kind of empathy around audiences, brands are therefore almost beholden. They, they, you can't go against the, the insight reports are the basis of everything, right? And if you get that insight report right, the brands have to move in a different direction. So do your insight work properly and then you don't have to fight about it over a TV ad because, or whatever, not even, I don't want to say TV ad. Do your insight work properly because then you don't have to fight over it when it comes to execution time because it's already been solidified on that brand that, no, this is who these people are and this is how we behave because the insights demand it of us. We often start, I mean, I, I think sometimes we get briefs from clients that have target audiences and they want us to start with the target audience. I think mm -hmm. one thing that I love about the way we attack problems is actually is what, you know the first thing you have to do is, is understand from a human truth. So mm -hmm. Instead of a target yeah. audience, what is the human truth like that, that we can actually connect with? And then if you get that right and you get the tension right and you can attach your brand to that human truth and that tension correctly, then you can say, okay, so how can we use that human truth to actually attack the specific you know, issue yeah. that or audience that you you want to do. I, I think that's important that we stay at that deepest human truth versus lowest common denominator or you know lowest target audience. You yeah, know, um, and clients will fight you on it. Like this is 100%. something we ran into at W and W a lot because good qualitative is expensive. It's a lot more expensive and it's a lot more slow than a quick hit data that you get from either a quantitative exercise or just the customer data that comes in. Both the quantitative exercise and that customer data that comes in is super important. Like. You you don't want to operate without that, 
right? But I think that clients are very often willing to cut corners on the more nuanced, textural, qualitative work because it's harder to put value against it because we get so data obsessed. Or, or, or they've brought it in-house and therefore have left out the, the objective outsider who might come in and give mm-hmm. them a different perspective that opens them up to a whole new territory they never thought about. I mean, yeah. my favorite part still to this day is walking into a client's office or into a meeting or a new business pitch and be able to present something and they go, I've never thought about it that way. Right, exactly. Well, that's because you have everything inside and all your qualitative <laughs> and all your quantitative and everything that you do is when you walk into that office, you're thinking about what you provide. Yeah. Our right. job has to be to come in and give them this objective outside, more human, you know, insight, so that they wake up a little bit to the power of what they actually have under their control. I agree. Um, you you talked a little bit earlier, and, and we've sort of gone back and forth um, upstairs about two things that maybe are connected: empathy and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. What role do you think empathy and vulnerability play in bravery? Ooh. Bam! <laughs> I just dropped the mic. <laughs> I'm on the floor right now. <laughs> She's stunned. Um, I think vulnerability is one of the hardest things. It's taken for me personally the most bravery to be vulnerable and to tell my story honestly. Um, it's harder than riding a motorcycle cross country by myself. That's easy. That's easy. Getting in front of a group of people and saying, this uh, this really hurt me, or... I thought that my career was going to be this thing and it got flattened in this way or what, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's hard. That's hard. Um, but that allows other people to come in. It allows other people to, that's how you create community. That's how you create connection. You can't create connection when two brick walls are slamming up against each other. Right. And I think a lot of times, um, and I, I think especially with women, because we're so afraid that um, if we're weak, we're going to get stomped, you know, and, and, I, and I don't mean that the men don't feel this way, too. But, you know, you're trained when you enter corporate world as a woman, like you got to be tough. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not good at being tough in that way. I, I don't think I ever have been. And as I get older, I get mushier and mushier. Um, and it's scary. But it allows me to connect to people in ways that I was never connecting to people 10, 15 years ago. And then that allows the empathy to happen. Yeah, I think that then allows you to connect at a, at a deeper level and maybe open other people's eyes to what's possible. Yeah, I think so. Well, this has been amazing. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks I know for having you me. don't know where you're going next because you're right at the beginning of a yet another, well, I think your fourth motorcycle journey across the country. Yeah. Um, but wherever you go, I'm sure you'll brighten people's day. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Impact Interviews. Love what you heard or hate it? Send us an email and let us know at impact at martinagency.com. And if you love our theme music, I Crush the Mountainside by Space Bomb House Band, check them out at spacebombrecords.com.